Welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited that we are here, we are present, um, and that today is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. Um, just in case you weren't sure of the date, I decided that I'm going to start reminding people when I go live what day it is. Um, I feel like, um, we'll get into that, what I feel like in a second. I just, I'm overwhelmed with happiness and joy because my esteemed colleague, Tanya Rosario Mendez is here with us today from Taller Salud. That's the only Spanish you're gonna get out of me during this broadcast, thank you. <laughs> Welcome Tanya, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, thank you for the invitation. Yes, I'm so excited. We're gonna get the, the we're gonna get this party started today. It's gonna be amazing. Um, so I wanted to talk to you just a smidgen before we get started. Like, do you feel like the days have shifted and that more and more you're asking the question, like, what is it? You know, like things are out of whack. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and days are longer. Um, also, they're not. Sometimes. They're not. They're not getting shorter, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I'm putting your payment links in the, um, as a pinned uh, comment, because I want people, when we begin talking about you and who you are and the work that you do in Puerto Rico, that's very important. Um, especially to the communities of Black women and non-men that are down there. Um, I want people to know where to go to give to your organization. Um, and so I, if it's okay, I'd like to introduce you to my following because I'm very happy you're here. And we're going to talk about how we know each other. All right. Of course. Thank you. So Tanya Rosario is a feminist and public health specialist with over 15 years of experience leading community organization and mobilization efforts in Puerto Rico. She has a solid track record as a transdisciplinary freelance artist, popular educator, and women and girls rights advocate. Tanya is a diligent, methodical, and skilled consultant in the design and implementation of interdisciplinary educational and social transformation projects and programs for a wide range of populations. And like I said, for those who are joining us, this is about to be an amazing conversation. We're gonna keep it cute, we're gonna keep it light, but we're gonna talk about some very serious things. So Tanya, welcome to this episode of The Full Set. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so let me talk about how I ran across you. So when I first met you, um, I wasn't, <laughs> you're laughing, I wasn't expecting the powerhouse that I got, if I can be honest, right? You were very quiet and you were very reserved and you were very approved. And when you began speaking, um, it was during the Northeastern panel that we did together. Mm -hmm. I feel like the years are now um, molding together. So was it? Was it last year that we did the panel? I think it was March of last year. Yep. And you went onto the stage and you gave this paper about uh, Hurricane Maria and the devastating impacts it had on the island of Puerto Rico, which is a U.S. territory. 
And it's just like seeing it in real time and hearing it from a first person experience. It was really unnerving and I, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, and I wonder if this is what people think um, when they hear our stories, right? Like, I just can't, but this can't be true. And the devastation that still exists some, some three years later. Um, and I think, you know, you were brilliant when you made the parallels between Hurricane Katrina and how the city of New Orleans and its surrounding towns are still rebuilding, even after all of these years, because it's the nature, um, sorry, it's the ethnicity of the people who are affected that is causing. <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, I was in my seat because I was, everybody else was boring. I'm sorry, everybody else that was there, but you was in my, I was in my seat and I was like, oh my God, I came here to see Moya Bailey talk. And then this woman, I said, I have to connect with you. So I'm glad that I did connect with you. And I told you, I said, you and I are going to see each other again, <laughs> you know, so I'm very happy to have you here. I remember, I remember the panel. <laughs> and of course, I remember your talk as well. <laughs> I made those uh, white I, people mad. <laughs> I think it was the first time I was having a really hard time not to laugh, uh, <laughs> you know, in, a, in an audience of... Um, well-intentioned uh, people. <laughs> I like how you said huge, people. Yeah, but a huge um, blind spot, mm. right? So right. For, for me, it's always, you know, I, I always have this, this sense of, of responsibility of being mindful of my own blind spots in life and shedding light on other people's, <laughs> right. on other people's uh, blind spots when they when they are in, in complex situations. So right. it was, uh, <laughs> it was superb. Um, so yes, uh, definitely my adult life is uh, before and after a Hurricane Maria um, in many senses. Um, I, I don't know if that is a true statement for all my generation. Okay. But the role I ended up playing, which was um, it was very circumstantial. It was not something that we planned uh, at all. And it just um, transformed um, many of my perspectives on uh, just on you know on justice and equality and access and um, how the framing of disasters as natural instead of political right. can be so so dangerous so I, I made it you know I could commit to that purpose and everywhere I could you know get heard I would you know use it <laughs> especially during the first uh, two years after the hurricane so what was what was it like um and I'm asking this because I feel like I want to be like very forthright with you. I feel like I wasn't like, these are not my questions. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like shout out to Olivia Fenty, who is one of my interns. And she came up with um, half of the questions for today. But I want to ask, because I see like, I still see the pain like in your face. And I just want to not pry, but to for you to share a little bit of what it was like 
because I think sometimes when we experience violence or we experience trauma, we kind of like compartmentalize it and we say everything is fine. You know, it's been it's been so long. Everything is fine. So can you share with us like this is going on in Puerto Rico and there's like simultaneous hurricanes happening right in the southern region of the United States. But it's mm -hmm. all black and brown people that this is happening to. I know people are going to get upset. Oh, it was white people involved, too. But affected disproportionately is black and brown people. And so for you going through it, you then organizing through that, which is what most people of color are doing out here anyways. What was that like for you? Um, I think, you know, it it was um, first, it, it still is. It's, I don't see it on the past. We, um, we have current uh, work that is, absolutely centered on the ravaged communities that uh, the hurricane left and then the government abandoned. So we are still doing work that is absolutely rooted in our commitment to a just recovery that was born after the hurricane. Right. Um, so for me, it's, it's very much uh, a present experience uh, and at the same time because we've had um, other disasters afterwards we had the uh, we had um, we had major um, a, I don't know how to translate major social uh, upheaval during the summer and the government the governor resigned uh, so oh, we had yeah. massive protests on the streets and the governor was forced to resign. Uh, and then we had some earthquakes and then we have COVID. So we, you know, we've been on a permanent uh, emergency response kind of mode, right. so to speak, right. since, uh, since the hurricanes. But during the very first months after the hurricane, we were very uh, much running through adrenaline you know, drives. So we were just responding in the ways we thought were uh, needed more urgently and right. also uh, in ways in which we were sure that we were, we were protecting the decision-making process. Right. So, you know, our women from our, you know, leadership groups and, the survivors group and like the the women were making the decisions daily and and you need to protect that right. their intention because if not um you end up responding to founders or to um i don't know partners or just external interests that are not directly affected and you have deadlines and you, you know, you sign um, on agreements and this puts up uh, pressures on organizations. Um, so you really need to be intentional into um, setting the rhythm in which you're going to work in order to protect um, the community's rhythm. And that is, you know, you can't impose that. Communities have their own um, 
uh, their own, you know, internal dances on how to... uh, Mira la poetica. (laughs) Their own internal dances. Because it's a dance. You move backwards and you have to make, you know, keep the balance into Mm -hmm. what you want, what the other wants, and the external things, and the... Mm -hmm. And Loisa, you know, because Loisa has this particular um, eh, lens through which people understand, you know, what is folkloric or what is what is to be black and also Puerto Rican, and what that what does that exactly means? And so they sometimes they you know they struggle with the expectations and the reality of you know of life. So it is definitely a dance, and if you impose um, externally your own agenda, that violence disrupts the Mm. any disrupts the beauty it would have, you know. So, but you really have to be intentional because you can do it. Even you you can um, uh, well intended. You can have. you know, unintended consequences that are right. Um, that are just you know bad for the process. That become obstacles. So when I think about, um, I want before I ask the question about Loisa and about blackness in Puerto Rico, I want you to because you said something that very very much stood out to me. You said that you don't feel like it is something that has happened, that the hurricane and the social unrest and now COVID-19 are things that are still in a stasis. They're still very much happening. And there was no recovery from any of the aforementioned things before COVID-19, if I'm understanding you correctly. And so now you're dealing with the trauma and what still exists from the rubble. And now you're dealing with uh, the salaciousness of this uh, global pandemic in which you know, you're caught in. And yeah. I, guess, I guess my question would be, where, what is Taller Salud, uh, the organization in which you are an executive director? And also what is the, I, I know that it's an organization that has been around for 40 years. I follow you guys ever since I met you. And I think that you do amazing work. I love seeing the, the pictures of the artwork and the women like gathering together and holding circle processes. And, and it's just, it's so amazing. So if you could, from your experience, talk about what Tayer Salud is and why it's important to the communities and services, that would be amazing. Um, well, Taller Salud is a feminist organization, and unheard it, of. It, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, in, in forty years, we've had several um, several identities, and 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 we've moved through different framings of of our work. But at the because very you started core, off as reproductive rights, right? Yeah, because it started out as a as a feminist collective. It didn't start it out as a nonprofit. Oh wow! And it okay, stayed as a feminist collective for for a decade, uh, doing uh, only advocacy work and organizing. Uh, so, like so grassroots the, organizing. That's what you're talking yes, about, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it transitioned into a nonprofit model in order to provide direct service. 
to to the same communities it was organizing at the moment mm -hmm. and then you know and then it, it kind of transitioned each decade through different major um major uh, shifts internally but I, I i think that it's important it's, what is important for me is that at the core um the way we understand feminism and the way we understand health has not changed right so um we understand feminism as a practice we don't understand feminism as a as a as a static set of characteristics or definitions you know so for us the practice of feminism um, um is the I don't, I'm, I'm having trouble translating and I'm understanding that I am really poetic in Spanish because I can't translate. <laughs> I can't translate myself. No, I, I've heard you speak Spanish. I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay, so, um, so yeah, so then the feminist practice um, requires self-discipline and requires uh, to, to be open to everything. Uh, so for us, the experience of having to lead uh, an emergency response, uh, mm. you know, was was a was a wonderful opportunity to embrace new new aspects of this feminist practice. You know, how do you uh, uplift women's leadership? Uh, as a commitment, you know, as a right. political commitment. How do you actually do that and keep on doing that daily? Uh, because it sounds pretty, but it's very difficult to do. Um, so, so that's what Tayer Salud is. It's a feminist organization that uh, works in two, in two realms. We, we provide direct service um, to different populations uh, that most of which reside in Loisa, which is a um, small coastal town located east of San Juan. Um, and San Juan is the capital of Puerto Rico. San Juan is the capital city, exactly. And um, Loisa is, um, is a town that got bypassed by mm. So Sorry, the, uh, I owned I you. You said that it's a town that got bypassed by a okay? by progress wow. mm. yeah the progress that some people understand so the meaning is that the build the the construction of the highway bypassed the town so you have to take a detour uh to actually go into the town and the town only has one main route one one entrance one exit so all the neighborhoods are pockets uh, that either end up in the in the sea or in the in the in a mangrove in a giant mangrove. So there's you you it's like a small labyrinth, so to speak. So then you have um, you have a concrete and abstract isolation. You have specific Oof. concrete isolation that happened right. through that bypass and the design and, the, and political decisions that were made to leave the town 
out of the main route to progress, you know, and economic development and the possibility of having uh, shopping malls or big, you know, stores established. And then you right. have the symbolic isolation, you know, the, the how people understand that, how people internally uh, assimilate isolation and make it a part of the social dynamics. So um, that makes Loisa very unique in a lot of ways. So a lot of things stayed uh, protected. Uh, nobody knew, uh, nobody, nobody went to the town that weren't from there. So right. a lot of cultural manifestations, a lot of um, cultural traditions like Food. They it still remain. That, it's not been okay, yes. whitewashed, so to speak. Yes, it remains till today. So you have, in the good, in the good side of that, you have a lot of strength that people can draw from those traditions that are ancestral and they own. And then you have all the sorrow and the and the and the mourning of exclusion. And being um, and being confined to endless violent cycles because you don't belong, you know, because somebody decided that you know uh, you could you could just bypass these people and forget they exist. So what is the main of, reason why the people of Loisa were bypassed? Because Loisa is a historically black community. It was founded by former slaves that when they when they ran away uh, from the hacienda, they found a, a spot that was difficult for uh, the Spanish to reach uh, because it was protected by giant man mangroves. So they, um, I don't know if the word is maroon, we call this, the word in Spanish is cimarron. I don't know if the translation is maroon or some word like that, but the... Pero ¿cómo eh, significará en este momento? Cimarrón es runaway slave. You okay. free you free yourself and you okay. run away and you, you and you live uh, uh, in liberty. Uh, okay. But you had to you were chased because the, the liberty was not granted to you. Right. So okay. because of that because it was it was uh, founded by as a as a former slave village. Um, it, it retained uh, some of those dynamics of uh, being, being, not being, tr not trusting outsiders and, you know, and, and in order to survive, organizing themselves in small clusters of families uh, that are close and small and circular and difficult to enter. So, um, that over time, uh, of course, and developed into a small community of around 30,000 people. Wow. Uh, with a vast And I think of Puerto Rico as such a small island. I, you know, like it, it, it takes me no more than six hours to get from end to end, you know? So yes. <laughs> when you say 30,000 and, and thinking of black people, like if you, I just want to tell people who are watching or who will listen later, if you go to Google and you type in any word, normative, like whatever a normative word would be, if you say um, 
model, right? Uh, a lot of uh, whiteness will come up. If you say England, a lot of whiteness will come up. It's uh, like as if white is the default. If you type in Loisa, L-O-I-Z-A, I was telling uh, my friend, it, it's, it's, I have goosebumps because correct images of what people from Loisa look like, it automatically comes up as Afro-Caribbean. It comes up as Black. It comes up as Afro-Latinx. It comes up, you know, and it's just beautiful seeing images of people that look like me and darker than me. And, and when I hear you say, you know, it was bypassed, I just think about the resiliency, which is a triggering word, you know, from, from that panel. I think about the resiliency of Black people that we had to free ourselves because no one else is going to do it. And it kind of sets exactly. the tone for how uh, Afrofuturism looks, right? We have to continuously reinvent ourselves. And I want to, um, I think about, like, you know, I went to the Google and it says a slavery ended in Puerto Rico in 1873. And of course, that's probably not the truth. Because as we know, <laughs> um, a lot of slave enslavement and, and, and what is the word um, when you're an indentured servant, you know, still continued mm -hmm. on well into the 1900s. And so um, this is very like heartwarming. I knew about Loisa because I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And there's a huge community in Boston, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I used to always wonder, like, why are these Puerto Rican people not like regular Puerto Rican people? Like, you know? And so <laughs> that you say that they retained their culture, to me, means that they have retained their Africanness. You know, that to me, that is still a very sacred thing. And then I think about, you know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but a, a few of my friends um, celebrate deities such as Atabi. Atabe, is that how you pronounce it? Atabe. 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 Yes, sorry, I'm I'm not Puerto Rican. So, but <laughs> there's that, right? And you know, and I think about the African markings that are on these spiritual deities, you know. And so, it really makes me feel like a sense of pride that is still being recognized, and that people are still celebrating their blackness, um, and mm -hmm. even amongst other people of color who say, you know, that's that's you know I, I think about growing up and um it was always like Puerto Ricans feeling some type of way about Dominicans Dominicans feeling some type of way about Puerto Ricans everybody hating Mexicans I know like you know what I'm saying like and it's just, it's just very interesting like the anti-blackness that happens like the emotional anti-blackness that happens but how it perpetuates in the physical sense and how it stops um, a highway being built so that people could get by and have transportation, how it stops aid. When the aid stops in Puerto Rico and it and it's on hold, you know, we, you and I talked about COVID. And I ask you, there's, there's like this rumor that I'm hearing that um, a lot of Puerto Rican people were not receiving their stimulus checks. And you explained it to me. And can you explain to everyone like what the mix up was that about? Um, I don't know, you know, sometimes I assume that people understand uh, Puerto Rico's relationship to the U.S. And I'm not sure that that is a given. Explícame mm. uh, so, claro. I know I said I wasn't going to yeah, speak Spanish, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, it's long, so I'm just going to uh, summarize it somehow. Come on, synopsis. Uh, Give me a synopsis. Come on. Yeah. So, um... So Puerto Rico basically uh, 
is is a military occupied territory. A military uh, occupied territory. Okay. Yeah. It I didn't even know. I heard now that there is like, is it in Vieques that there is like a, a military base? I didn't know that because I've been to Puerto Rico and I would never have I known it's a militarized I, territory. I forget the number, but at a point there were over 30 um, military bases in Puerto Rico. Every wow. coast every coast of the island and both offshore municipalities, Vieques and Culebra had military bases and every coast had several wow. uh, for the US Navy, for the, uh, for all the, for the Air Force and, and all the um, different departments of uh, the army. So, but I, I say that to, so that you can picture um, what that means. Uh, so it means that Puerto Rico belongs to the U.S. as as a territory, okay. but it's not a part of the U.S. It belongs to the U.S., but it's not a part. So what that means is that we don't control, uh, the U.S. controls customs, borders, currency, defense, uh, commerce uh, related to Puerto Rico, but Puerto Ricans living in the island don't get to vote for the president wow. or have any Congress representation at all. Um, so that's it. That's, you know, that's plain, plain facts. Um, she said that's facts. <laughs> yeah, uh, because okay. I don't want to give my opinion. Right. <laughs> I no, I back. didn't want, I didn't know that actually, I didn't know, because you, you would think in my mind, you know, like, since it's not considered another country, you would think that when I hear you make the distinction that Puerto Rico is not a part of the U.S., I'm like, how sway? But then you just broke it down, like, you know, that there's, yeah. there's no buy-in either way, you know, you have your own government. Yeah, so we have a governor, just like in, like a state, we don't have we don't get to have a president or a prime minister we just get to have a governor um and the governor is invited to things like the association of southern governors of the united states things oh, wow. like that so, so this is the southernmost government okay <laughs> yeah but then at the same time uh, we don't have presence of u.s parties in puerto rico we don't vote for the democrat or republicans um, uh, we have our own local parties, um, and if you visit and, and move around the island, you will feel that you are someplace in Latin America. Mm -hmm. It feels like you are in a, in a, you know, in any proud small country of Latin America. Right. You'd see the flags, you'd see the, you know, you'd hear the music, everybody speaks Spanish, you won't see people speaking in English in Puerto Rico. Um, but they laugh and, in uh, English. Well, we, we, some of us are bilingual, like me. No, <laughs> no like I'm that. fucking with you, I'm fucking with you. They laugh in English. <laughs> I remember one time I visited, and I had on chancletas, which are sandals. Um, I had on chancletas, uh -huh. and I, it, you know, in Puerto Rico, it rains often. And I went down the slopes at El Morro, which is like this big, huge Spanish fort in San Juan. And I was walking down just because 
there was like a, a little dulce card there. He had like cotton candies and paletas and, and ice cream and all that stuff. And I was walking down and I slid in my trunk and everybody laughed at me and I felt like they were laughing in English. That's what I will say. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't there. See, you laugh in English too. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, we do it. We're laughing any language. So, um, so the thing is that because of that, um, because of that weird relationship, we get to have some of federal, uh, decisions get to be applied to Puerto Rico and like do you have to fill out the census does that even matter in Puerto Rico yes okay yes, we fill out the census we uh, like you can find data from Puerto Rico in the American Community Service okay um, we use the we use the United States Postal Service we use the codes um, and, but uh, Obamacare was only partially applied to Puerto Rico. So, so, you know, so federal policies can, they can or cannot apply and we don't have a say on that. Oh, wow. It gets decided elsewhere. And so we, you would think because we are U.S. And, and the other thing crazy is that we are U.S. citizens. We, we have U.S. passports and we are not allowed to have a Puerto Rican passport. So if hmm. I move to Albany tomorrow. You want to come be vote, my neighbor? I can vote for the president in November. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I can't, because you I would can't be a registered voter here. Yeah. Okay. If I, if I, if I am the same Puerto Rican with the same passport and in, in, in Puerto Rico, if you live in Puerto Rico, you can't vote or have any congressional representation. Not that I would want it that way, but just right. saying, you know. <laughs> it's very that interesting that you said that. And I want to ask a clarifying question. So when, because, you know, I don't know much about it, but when they are looking for, you know, they, you know, politicians say it's not about race but they're always looking for the black vote and they're always looking for the Latin vote, right? So, mm -hmm. but you're saying that if a Puerto Rican person resides in Puerto Rico, that they are not a part of that vote because they cannot vote in the primary or That's the right. presidential race. Wow, I didn't know that. I, I feel like I learned something today. Thank you. But we, we do have a 5 million diaspora Oh, of course, of course. I know vote. Puerto Rican people in the Bronx. <laughs> I lived in the Bronx for 10 years. They voting, like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it, I think it's very interesting that you just made that parallel that you as a Puerto Rican resident cannot vote even though you are owned, your country is, uh, your territory is owned by the United States. It's, it's very weird to me. Like, it's a weird yeah. flex. And so, so, the, uh, the, so some immediate consequences of being an being a military occupied territory that has no control over borders, um, um, you know, it's it's. I want to stress that because during disasters, um, having no control of your borders is is a di the difference between life or death. So we are sure that that we had thousands of deaths after the hurricane that could have been prevented if the borders uh, you know, were controlled locally and we could have accepted um, 
ships with aid from countries that are closer to Puerto right. Rico. And like and what country? Like Dominican Republic. Yes. <laughs> like Colombia. Yeah. Right. Like Brazil. Like Cuba. <laughs> so, right. Well, Cuba is close, uh, but I don't. I'm not sure Cuba could have sent. Uh, ship no, with, they, they can't, but but it's because in general, right, like the sanctions. So let me not get into that because that's yeah. a different conversation. They've shut down my PayPal right now talking about Cuba. They yeah, they could have helped in a lot. They could have right. sent their, their doctors, right. you know, and they could have helped. And we cannot accept that help. Um, so, so that in terms of the hurricane or the earthquakes is a very, very specific consequence. And of course, right now during COVID, we have the same problems. We have we have to wait for the CDC's uh, approval of things, and we have to send to Atlanta the the you know to the the test for 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 results, and and we are absolutely tied to whatever federal um, decisions are made uh, related to the emergency. We we all, we all, you know we have some level of autonomy as the states have. So our own, our governor decided, you know, the lockdown, the curfew, all of that was locally decided. But right. um, but still, uh, we are bound to decisions we don't take part of. And related to the stimulus, the same happens. Um, the both stimulus that have been approved and the Family First Act and the CARES Act, they all apply partially to Puerto Rico um, in combination with local uh, policies or, or even stimulus that the, that the government provided. So, um, so I think that the, um, the 1,200 that came through the one of the stimulus that that will get to the people that have paid uh, federal taxes, right? Have filed taxes, and then um, I think there's a supplemental that is tied to um, nutritional assistance funds. That one is not applied to Puerto Rico. So stuff like that. So we would have to get into the details, but it's it's. So do Puerto not, Ricans are they eligible for SNAP? Yes, they are. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's run uh, locally with a f combination of funds, uh, but it is uh, partially federally funded. All right. Thank you so much for explaining it. Um, there is a comment that I want to read to you um, from one of our viewers. And hold on one second. Well, I would have to go back now because I've, I've, I've muted out of it so many times trying to comment back and forth. But um, basically, the young person was saying that they really appreciated your resilience uh, for being in the midst of the trauma and still organizing through it and that they wish you nothing but the best. It, that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. And I thought that that was pretty amazing that people are recognizing the work that not only you, but Tayer Salud does in Puerto Rico. So thank you. 
That's lovely. Thank you. You said that's lovely. I want to talk to you about um, feminism in Puerto Rico because I know that Taller Salud is a feminist organization. I also know that you organize for women and girls' rights, right? There was, um, right before quarantine started for me, you know, I saw like Bad Bad Bunny uh, share a video. I think he was on Saturday Night Live and he had a skirt on and he was saying like, Alexa, ella muerte. Like, it, um, sorry, I forget the Spanish word, but is it muerte? Yeah, muerte. Okay, so, and then I was like, you know, what is this political statement? Because, you know, everybody that I know who's a grassroots organizer, when we make political statements, we make it with our t-shirts, you know? And so I look up the story and I, I went down a rabbit hole, you know? And I thought about the story that this transgender woman, Alexa, um, who was loved by many, but also discarded by many, um, was murdered um, just for being a transgender woman. And I think about women's rights in Puerto Rico and like what that means and such. It, it's the same capitalism. And so it, it comes over and it trickles over and it's very patriarchal. Como significa machísimo. It's very like, mm -hmm. there's gotta be this masculinity that you know a lot of people say is toxic masculinity, but some of my, my peers say there's no difference between masculinity and toxic masculinity and so what is the puerto rico under a feminist lens what does that puerto rico look like because everybody knows pr as a beautiful country right everyone knows that um i have a little cookie on my dresser because it's just such a beautiful island and when you think about the politics past the beauty what does a, a beautiful Puerto Rico look like that includes women, women of color, black women as not erasures, right? And more as fixtures and, and, and more revered spirits in the island? Well, in, in my experience, um, working with women, especially women of color or women that are owning their, their, their African descent, um, most of these women are feminists without knowing they are feminists. Of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they are truly um, forces of nature, you know. They can really transform communities, like for real. Um, so I was not as convinced three years ago <laughs> <laughs> but um, after, you know, after this, this years and um, the things that I've seen, the, the you know, the, the strength and the willpower and the empathy and, um, you know, and the capacity, um, I have no doubt that... Um, it, it's through leadership, it's through those women's leadership that uh, change is gonna happen. So um, that, that would be my aspiration. Uh, and it's what drives you know, our work right now that we can somehow uh, build, uh, create 
co-design conditions to flourish, you know, right. to really thrive uh, and not having to only survive, uh, you know, forever. Um, so, you know, that's what's driving us right now that we, that we know we deserve better, we deserve lives, you know, free from fear and violence and poverty. Uh, and we're ready to fight for it. <laughs> we don't expect. You know, we don't expect no one's gonna give it to us. But um, so you you said something about self care. And now that I'm saying that we're ready to fight, it, it I was like, uh oh, did I did I <laughs> did I start something up inside of you? <laughs> I just wanted to bring that uh, we're working with that with a concept uh, that we're calling collective care instead mm -hmm. of self-care. Um, so, you know, I understand, you know, the political um, affirmations around self-care. Uh, I think it, you know, it belongs to some, some tendencies inside uh, or, or within activism that require you to be, you know, self-sacrifice for the movement. So I understand. Where I don't know nothing about self-sacrificing for the movement. Okay. <laughs> you mind but, your business. <laughs> so we're challenging. We're challenging that. We're challenging okay. that. We want to, if we really want to thrive uh, together, we need to we need to transform that into collective care. Uh, that that means you know interconnectedness, exchange. Um, it definitely means bringing equity because not everybody needs the same. And, um, and also being really, really mindful and, and clear on, on your intentions. Um, and I think there's also, a, there's also a lot to learn about, uh, boundaries and especially that's a word younger. that keeps coming up for me. So go ahead, talk to me <laughs> about boundaries. About younger girls, you know, because um, I think patriarchy rests into knowing that no one has ever taught us that we have a right to set boundaries. And it just mm -hmm. rests that we won't learn, that we won't ever learn, that we won't teach our daughters. <laughs> uh, and and you know, it's just wrong. We can learn, we can teach, we can enforce boundaries, we can negotiate, we know how to do that. Uh, we just have to own it. <laughs> but definitely, I think there's, uh, there's an important key into um, scaling up what, feminist, what feminism can uh, bring to emergent uh, movements, you know? So um, for me, you know, feminism has been my school, my teacher, you know, my practice, my homework, everything. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I found it, you know, as a framework to understand what was not making sense at all. Um, but I'm also aware that it has its blind spots and its limitations. So uh, 
there's work to do, sister. <laughs> there's work to do. Listen, when you talk about there's work to do, my I have to give a shout out. I love Olivia. She came through in a clutch. Um, when we talk about, um, you know, the fact, like, I, I just want to make sure I'm asking this question correctly. When we talk about the social and economic resources available to Black communities in Puerto Rico, more specifically Black women, does, doesn't there need to be a mention of Blackness, especially when we're looking at gender-based gender -based violence um, and Afro-Latinx versus white women in Puerto Rico? Because I know a lot of Puerto Rican women, believe me, this, is, this was my community for so many years. I was married to a Puerto Rican man for 10 years. So a lot of Puerto Rican women um, who are lighter skinned feel like, no, but I'm black, you know, because I'm Taino and like one tenth of my root was, you know, black slave, right? But then it's like in the ways that we adopt whiteness because we're lighter skinned and we're supposed to act a certain way or, you know, and then we discard, we end up discarding darker sisters of color. Like, especially like I think about how you, I mean, you describe it perfectly. Like there's a labyrinth and Loisa, it, it doesn't exist in the labyrinth. It's like inside, but outside of it, you know? And so how do we not replicate the same system of harm that white supremacy um, begs to us? Because if it's, if it's something that we're going through as women, feminism allots that we understand it, you know? Sexual assault can happen to all women and we understand that, right? But when we talk about gender-based violence as it relates to race, when a woman is black and Latinx or black and Latina because that is her nat naturalidad or that mm -hmm. is et, et, et right? The, the heritage mm -hmm. and like the knowing and the being and how do we mitigate the harm that white supremacy has taught us? Like, how do we center women of color and then say, and these women who are darker skinned or whose hair doesn't look like mine also are on the margins and there's no room for error for them like there is for us. I like well, to ask you questions. That is a, a difficult task um, in Puerto Rico, you know, for over 50 years, there was a lot of investment made into building the Puerto Rican myth of every, you know, we all we are all the same, a mix, a product of a mixture of races. Um, uh, we are, you know, one part Spanish, one part Taino, one part African, so we are all exactly the same. And the and you know, and black people um, disappeared with this mixture, and there's no pure nothing here. And uh, right. and so those myths were were um, were so uh, are so much a part of um, they're like ingrained almost. Yeah, it's we but like it's there are really a part of our truth. We really mm. have to challenge it because a lot of people just won't question it. Like they would, they would, you know, state that as a truth. Um, and that, um, that has several consequences. So one consequence has to do with people 
that look like me thinking they can say they are Afro-Caribbean. Uh, I hate to see with, it, sis. I hate to see with, it. Without any, you know, without any sense of that just being inappropriate, <laughs> just really in a very honest way, really thinking that is, um, that is correct to do. And then the other side of that is, um, is black people buying into the notions that racism does not exist in Puerto Rico and it only exists in your head. So you are imagining things. You, you, are, um, you have a complex. So you're, you're thinking less of yourself because you have a complex and you're imagining that. And that causes- I wanna ask for clarification because you said, you said black people, but you mean like people of color thinking that the reason why black people are always talking about this blackness is because it's in your head. Like no one treats you this way. You know, it's like, that's the general consensus. I have a lot of Puerto Rican friends that are darker than me. And if I talk about, I'm really sad to say this, but I think it needs to be said. If I play, say we're all dancing to bachata all night long, right? And I decide I want to turn on a little bit of rap music, or I want to play a little, even, or if it's reggaeton, and then I want to put on American black rap, or if it's, if it's, you know, bachatera, like, you know, I'm listening to Josco Serrante over here, and all of a sudden Luther Vandross comes on over, they might enjoy the song one or two, but in the slurred speech because of the inebriations and the imbibement, it has come out on several occasions, turn off that black shit. And I'm yeah. like, wow, your mom, extremely black. Your mom is blacker than my mom. Like, you know, and it's just, I want not to focus on that because that is important, but I want us to like, unpack how dangerous that is because all we're doing is reinforcing like if we can act white if we can act respectable if we can be refined and wear our red glasses and push them up on our nose everything is going to be great and really we don't we don't belong at that table because it's not for us anyways even if we were able to get a seat at that table it is the table is filled with colonizers who have raped our mothers and our fathers, who have uh, literally held us down for decades, centuries, eons, it feels like. And, and this is still apparent. I just want us to be able as, as, as lighter skinned people to begin to like, that tapestry needs to happen because then it's always going to be black folks doing the most of the labor and having the knowledge like, and saying, yeah, no, I, I get it because I'm black and Latina. Or, you know what I'm yep. saying? Like, how do we, as lighter skinned people, say to our own people, hey, 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 actually, that's not correct. Like, how would, okay, that's my question. How would you begin the conversation with somebody that looked like me or somebody that looked like you and say, actually, you probably, I feel uncomfortable you saying the N-word because historically speaking, you're not the type of person that that would be addressed to you know? Yeah, you know, I think that the, the way I see it is that 
representation does matter. So it is a conversation to be had, you know, ask the question, why am I not seeing anywhere people that look like me? What, why, how is that decided? And then uh, the other part of that conversation has to do with, I, I don't, I'm not sure how to translate it, but um, in Spanish we say portavocía, which means being a spokesperson. Right. So, so I think that there's some work to do with strengthening capacities to be a spokesperson. In, because in, the current spokespersons for, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, but just especially in the groups that have been denied the right to speak for themselves. Yes, because that's what I was going to say. It, you know, I, I, I made a status. A lot of people got a little annoyed with me. You've been my Facebook friend for a year, so you already know what's up. But I made a status. I was like, why the hell are you congratulating Jennifer Lopez and, and, and Selena Gomez and all this other stuff? Uh, for performance like art is important and maybe it might bring some attention but it's that that kind of platform without actually saying the words hey let go of these children that are in cages hey like we stand in solidarity with the uh the absurd and cruel and violent treatment of immigrants you know like unless there's like a statement, it, it, sometimes the art is lost because everyone's so excited. And J-Lo would not be, I mean, I love her. On the six, I'm, I lived in the Bronx 10 years, I get it, right? But when I think about women who struggle in the industry, who are Afro-Latinx, and I think about Celia Cruz, I went to Miami with my friend and the characters that they have of Celia Cruz are just grossly misdrawn and they make her look almost sinister um when she every real picture i've ever seen of her she has a beautiful que sonrisa, a beautiful smile on her face and just the way that historically black folks have been characterized i think of amara la negra even though she's dominican i think of you know the fact that darker skinned women are not celebrated and those are the women holding up the labor and saying this is my experience i experience racism as a person of color, yes, so you could be Latino, Latina, Latinx, and experience racism, but when it's Blackness plus your racism, when it's the skin color that meets first, when it's not the tongue, it's it, it's the appearance, like, you know, that is something I wish that we could, and maybe the answer is not today, but it's definitely something I wish that we can bridge the gap on, because it is so important, the work that you guys are doing, but it shouldn't have to be this difficult, sis. Like, you understand what I'm saying? It shouldn't have yeah. to be this Yeah, definitely. So the last question that I want to ask you is, um, being that Loisa has been a, one of PR's largest Black populations and is the birthplace for many African-inspired traditions in Puerto Rico, how does your programming also incorporate that huge identity piece into your community organizing? Yes, that, um, you know. Come on, Olivia. <laughs> it, it, has, um, it has changed over time because, um, because our own organization has changed and also the community has changed over time. But I would say that um, local um, 
traditions are very centered in, in all the work that we do. Um, and, and how is art uh, part of that? Because you yourself are a multidisciplinary artist. And so how yes. does art get curated in that community organizing? Well, we do, we do different things. Like, um, and, and most of the time is, it, is, um, it is actually driven by the artists themselves or, or, the, or, the, or the folklorists. Because Loisa has uh, Puerto Rico's most big and um, impressive uh, carnival. Uh, it's I've seen some pictures. It to yeah. me, it's even better than the Marathon de San Blas. Okay, don't it's, don't play games. Okay, <laughs> it's absolutely. Yes. I don't even have a word. You know, it really is hypnotizing. Uh, it's a five day long uh, traditional um, festival with processions, and uh, it is uh, like all old. Uh, carnivals it is um it highlights one saint and what is the, the saint, saint name so we can learn santiago apostol okay thank you so i'm he, gonna play this so, back so i could be like yes what she so said Sa santiago apostol so santiago apostol the figure it is um cared for during the whole year by different groups and it is um um it is walked through a, a, a specific route by different processions each day, uh, and and each day is dedicated to those uh, to, to those processions. So you have one day is the men, one day is only the women, one day right. is the children, and around that you have all the um, all the sewing of the costumes, all the preparation of the masks, and um, for the different processions and all the preparation of the food. So it, it really is very, um, it's hallucinating. It really is very impressive. Um, so that happens once a year in July and and the rest of the year, there are different preparations towards okay. that. So, um, so that means that the town has a lot of, uh, artisans, uh, eh, costureras, eh, women that sew and eh, mask makers, eh, painters, okay. and eh, also people that carve in wood. There's a, there, there's a tradition of carving smaller oh, wow. Smaller figurines? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then there's there's a particular use of the coconut. The the coconut is used to, to craft uh, the masks. Okay. So there's some carving there that is done also. So um, all of that is is very just it's just very normal. Like people are used to that level of colors, to that you know level of music. Um, and then the music is the other aspect of that. The the all the traditional music uh, and the preparation of the instruments they build the instruments it's very very artisan work so um so all of this and some of uh, some of those manifestations either separately or together are part of the programs 
So we have music clubs, for example, that work with um, with the barriles, the, the bomba, which is the traditional. The bomba. Yeah, so we have these music clubs to do uh, gender violence work with kids. And then mm. we have uh, the circle uh, of survivors works with mostly with the talents that are in the group. So right. they, they do, they can do painting, they can do uh, tapestry with, with some of the women. So, um, a, and all of the groups use uh, some or various uh, techniques. And sometimes we bring in um, artists that are not from Loisa, like stilt walkers or musicians or theater people that can bring, you know, more tools to engage people for, for, for any purpose that is determined uh, to the project. And of course, the events are used as outreach, massive outreach activities right. for our organization and projects. So last year's uh, procession was huge and we had like 300 volunteers and all the staff and the participants and um, it was, it was, um, it was just great. <laughs> you should come. <laughs> I've been You'd telling love. you, I want my invitation. But you know, so much <laughs> should be happening. I'm like, I don't know. So you'd love it. So, so I think that that um, you know, Taller Salud uses um popular education approaches since the very beginning of the work. Right. So that that means that in the culture of the organization, we just don't believe there's an expert that going to teach you anything we just think there's shared expertise in our mm. room and, and we are exchanging that so we just we 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 work from that belief uh, so i think that once you know over time uh, at the moment we have we are 23 people in the staff okay and half half of those people are are loisa Loisa born or they live, they currently live in Loisa and work. That's unheard of. Can you repeat that again? Say it louder for the people in the back. You said that more yes. than half your staff is actually the people that are impacted. <laughs> is that what you're yes. saying to me? Yes. Yes. So, um, so that of course also changed um, my organization because they brought in all this knowledge, all this uh, traditions uh, they brought their families with them so you know so that uh, gave us access to um, to very specific you know practices a lot there's a lot going on around animals in Loisa the, the horses are being taken care of the goats the roosters right. so you know there there's this whole world that just happens and you don't ever see it so those for us are the sources that people own, that they can always claim as theirs and they can use to, you know, to, to, to tackle any storm, any hurricane, either symbolic or real. So, so we, the work that we do is always trying to center that you already have what you need you, you, whatever it is that you need to survive, you already have it. It's inside mm. you. It's old, ancestral. You just have to remember 
you know, how it's called and where to find it. And the way to remember it is to hear the music or to see the color or to, so that's how we do the work. And uh, we, we couldn't do it without art. It, right. it, it would just PowerPoint, it would be pointless. <laughs> a pointless PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, and you know how I feel about those PowerPoints. I was like, they're so excruciating. Yeah. So yes, yes. So, I want, yeah, so that's, that's the work. I want to give this opportunity now back to you because this is, you know, I, I think it's interesting like how this works. Um, but I want to make sure that even though I have said, you know, like, oh, this is my opinion on X, I want to give you the floor. Um, every time that I'm starting to end the show, I ask my guests a two-prong question because I love complex things. I'm a complex person. Okay. And so I want to know, the first part of the question is, is there anything that you were surprised I did not talk to you about or that you feel like, oh, I wrote this thing down and I want to revisit it because it was important and I should have spoken about it? Or to, And two, who would you like to see on the show next? Who needs a voice or whose story needs to be told? Oh, wow. Damn. Okay. <laughs> um... Come on, Taya. <laughs> I guess... Um... I guess maybe I was uh, I was surprised that we didn't talk about poverty and economic justice and you know just access to resources and what does that mean for women and women of color in particular. I asked you that question. <laughs> I, so if you want to answer my question, you're more than welcome. I asked you that question. I said, I'm, what I'm does resources like mean? Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just you know circling back to okay. to you know money and what does it mean to uh because you know I, I i always tend to to see things um to see that to try to understand the symbolic uh, meaning of things and and what does it mean to not have anything to offer and to participate in exchanges when people when when the exchanges dynamic are in what does it mean to not be able to participate right because that's what money is for right to be able to exchange something and to and right. to not have any or access to any just leaves you out it just leaves you out entirely from a complete dynamic uh that is social right. um so and and what's the damage right what what you start believing that is true about yourself because of that so that's the damage. So yeah, you know, I think women have. We need to be talking more seriously about money. <laughs> if you want to have a, a symposium on money, and you want to invite me to Puerto Rico, baby, I'll come tell you about some money. Okay. Yeah, we should do it. We should definitely. I'm do ready it. whenever. I don't know who could be on this show next. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe a theater person? Okay. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, Daniel Beatty is, a, is I don't, he graduated from some college. You know, I really don't keep up with people and where they graduate from, but he's an amazing <laughs> theater productionist. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's what he do. And he had a, um, a fellowship at Emerson College and he produced Mr. Joy 
and I know Tangela large and, and you know what I hadn't even she just had a baby we just reconnected and she's wonderful actress and I would love to have her on so thank you for stirring that in me because I'm like oh you know I'm having a rapper on and I'm having, like you know what I'm saying like so this is this is and we're doing a poetry show for free on Friday so I'm trying to kind of keep it like como como se dice variety you know yes so I just want to say thank you um for those who are joining and those who are going to be listening later uh the links uh in both the PayPal and also the um, the the network for good link are listed in the description. They will be listed on the description in the podcast as well, um, because it is important to put your money where your mouth is. If you say you're organizing, <laughs> if you say you have um, a knack for activism, and you are a person of power, privilege, and sustenance because of the power that's been handed down to you, I would wholeheartedly encourage you to shake some coins out of them pockets because y'all been spending money on the weirdest things. I see a lot of white women baking bread on the internet. And I'm like, did you even have a bread baker before COVID? Come on, sis, you know? So I, I would really encourage people to give to this organization and make sure that even if it's like five, $10 that you make a monthly subscription because the work that you all are doing is commendable. The fact that you have black and brown women in positions of power from the city that you are organizing in is amazing to me. To me, it is unheard of. I like to hear about collectives like this and you all should be proud of the work you're doing. And I hope that you send that message. And when this gets uploaded, I would like for you to share it with those women because I, I'm inspired by all of them. I look forward to y'all's updates so much. Thank you, Didi. Thank you so much. Gracias. <laughs> and so with that i would like to thank everyone for being a part of episode number 30 whew, of the full set i hope that you all have a good night and tanya thank you again for being my guest and talking about what is important to you thank you bye-bye